Hello everyone and welcome back to Campfire Chronicles. I'm your host Chris. And I'm Garrett. This week we will be discussing something from our paranormal chapter. So. The growl is going to be a thing now? Maybe. Alright. I don't know. So, with us today, tonight, whenever you're uh, watching this, listening to it, we have the beautiful Steve Dills. He is here in person with us. Um, hey everybody. So. Tell, tell us kind of about you, um, you know, what's your ties. Uh, oh, yeah, by the way, we're doing Hanover Tavern. I, f- I forgot to mention that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we are discussing Hanover Tavern, we've by been, the way. Yeah. We've been hinting at that episode for a while, and we, Steve and his uh, in his busy schedule, he finally found some free time to make it over here to uh, to Chris and I, the Scrubs. Yeah, now, so. now that he's all, uh, you know, big wig, popular TV star, so. Kind of a big deal. No, yeah. <laughs> It's okay. You're helping us out, though. You're yeah. Helping us out. So, um, you know, tell us about yourself. How you get into the paranormal field, and you know, what's a, what, what's it like to be in the life of Steve? It's weird. It's very weird. Uh, so I, I kind of have a lengthy story. Do we have time for for stories? We have we plenty have of time. Nothing stories. but time. All right. Cool. So, um, I I start this off with a lot of my like my presentations. Um, and I always like to talk about something called the paranormal journey, right? Um, and I'm picking up, right? Do I need to like, do no, I need to like talk like this? No, you don't have to get that close. <laughs> no, it picks up. It picks up more than you think it does. Okay. Yeah. So, so I talk about the paranormal journey, right? Everybody has a a journey that got them into the paranormal for one reason or another, right? Mm-hmm. Like. You guys got into the paranormal for a reason. It wasn't just this like is, this is my journey. There you go. So, so you got into it for a reason. You just didn't walk off the street and and you were like, oh, yeah, I'll do that. Like there was something that that sparked that interest. Yeah, mine was a glowing blue beach ball that came out of the ground and turned ninety degrees and went behind a tree in Gettysburg. Yeah. So, so you have you had something. You had you had a reason for getting into the paranormal and questioning that. Mm. And everybody has that. It's it's a universal uh, truth for the paranormal field. Is is people have these these either they had an interaction or they were just so intrigued by something that they saw or watched or heard that they landed in the weirdest of weird fields, right? <laughs> Um, and so mine started when I was really young. Uh, I actually moved to Richmond, which is where we are, everyone. We're in Richmond. Um, so so I moved to Richmond um, uh, kind of on a, a um, career whim. Uh, that was not by my choice. So uh, I, was, I was born in New Jersey, grew up outside of uh, uh, Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. And my father, uh, also Steve, had an opportunity to move down to Virginia um, for a position that was head of research and development for a department here uh, for for a company now known as Pfizer. Okay. So uh, yeah. Pfizer, uh, Pfizer, as in the, the like vaccine? Advil. Yes, the ones that doing the vaccines. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, so that's ironic. I was about to say. I think everybody is familiar with Pfizer at this point. Pfizer, yeah. Moderna. Yep. So, so uh, he he accepted this position, uh, and and the catch, however, was we had to move immediately. Uh, so, you know, I was I was probably ten at the time. I, I want to say, and what I can only describe as a whirlwind of activity. We were packing. We were in the car. We were unpacking, and we were in this house here in in Richmond. It all kind of happened really fast. Yes. Yeah. And. It was, 
it's an eight hour drive, but it might as well have been another world. Right. Because everything I knew, my my family, my extended family, my best friend, my entire life was up in Pennsylvania in this small town in Pennsylvania. How old were you? I was about 10. Okay. So so really one of those defining moments where you've already built a lot of those like childhood relationships. Yeah. uh, And and now that's all tossed uh, into the trash can. I was very anxious. We moved right around my birthday. So I actually had my my birthday down here, and I remember it just being the worst thing because literally all my friends were up north, and I didn't know anybody here. So it was just like the worst birthday, you know, ever imaginable, right? Um, but it it kind of sent me into depression and and anxiety and very lonely, isolated feelings, right? Uh, for those of you in the field, that is a perfect storm. Uh, especially when you move into a house that is haunted. And so that is what happened. Um, you don't say. Yep. So we moved into to a house that had a lot of activity. Uh, and and this is, again, it's not something that I talk too much about, but I dive into it a tiny bit. Um, this was where I had my defining experience that led me to like start questioning uh, what was going on? Like, what what don't we understand in our current model of science and physics that are making these things occur? And so it started out with, you know, hearing my voice, uh, not just like whispered, but literally screamed into my ear at night. Um, your own voice? Or your not name? my voice, but my name. Your name, okay. Being screamed into into my ears, right? Uh, and so, so I would hear that. At night, uh, I would wake up all the time and just hear talking, uh, a piano playing. You know, somebody would be playing a piano. Did y'all have a piano in the house? Yeah. We did, but nobody's playing it at 3 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> right? So uh, so that kind of escalated to uh, my bedroom doors and closet doors opening and closing. Um, mm. I got sick for a period of time. I was, I was sick for a couple of months. Um, so much so that my, my parents actually took me to the doctor's. On numerous occasions, and there was physically, I was perfectly fine. Hmm. Um, but I think all of that really, in in turn, forced me into more isolation. Right? I was sick. I wasn't going to school. I was staying in one spot at home. Like someone was drawing in that one bedroom in that one right? area. Yep. And so um, I would often see doppelgangers, especially of the family dog at the time. Yeah. Um, see him like like I would be outside and uh, I'd see him come around the corner of the front yard and we lived in a neighborhood so that was definitely like a no-no like if the dog's out there without a leash and there's all these cars driving through the neighborhood he's just gonna get hit yeah so uh you know I'd, I'd yell at him to go inside and he'd run around the corner as if he was going through the through the garage and I'd, I'd run around and he's gone so I'd go inside and, and on this particular occasion I walked up the steps and uh, entered into the living room and my mom was sitting on the couch watching TV and the dog, you know, he was a, a Sheltie Collie. So he was a big dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was laying in her lap asleep. It's also not a common dog. No, no, it's not. It's not like it's not something that yeah, you just you don't, randomly you don't see multiple on the same street, especially that look the exact same. Yeah. So uh, so I'd go in and. And, you know, I asked on that particular time, I was like, oh, he fell asleep fast. And she's like, he's been sitting here for like a half hour, just sitting with me watching TV. 
So that happened on numerous occasions. And it wasn't just outside. It was in the house as well. Now, did uh, did your parents see anything or, or was it just you? Or did- They did. Uh, this particular, whatever this was, uh, and I don't want to title it, but um, this thing targeted me specifically. Um, very similar to you and your blue orb story. Mm. Uh, this really culminated in... I was taking a shower in their bathroom because they had the nice bathroom, right? <laughs> and um, they had this – the door to it was one of those, like, uh, clouded glass. Mm. So you could still see out, but it was kind of, like, very Hazy. boring. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I remember I was taking a shower, finished up, and I looked, and I saw, like, this big red orb in the bathroom. So I'm like – like what the heck, you know, maybe maybe my sister threw a balloon or something silly in there. So I open open the shower door, and there is this red, glowing orb, like literally the size of a basketball, um, in the bathroom. And of course, I do what all ten year olds are gonna do. I screamed my bloody head off, and uh, and so my parents hear me and they start running upstairs. And I guess right before they breached the door to the master bedroom it flew out of the bathroom and took a right into their walk-in closet and so my parents come in they're like what's wrong with you what's wrong with you? you look like you just saw a ghost and uh and i was like it's in there it's in the closet don't go in there and so my dad is like oh i'm going into this closet and i'm like no 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 no, no. so uh so he goes in the closet of course he doesn't find anything of course there's nothing in there um but that to me was like the scariest thing uh, at that time, you know, I've seen some definitely some different things since. But um, luckily, uh, we, we lived there for only two years uh, and this was towards the end. And so after that, um, we, we finally were on our way, packed up and, and moving. Um, and that to me was a really big like question, right? An like unanswered the... question, like what is going on? Why the, is this happening? The main part of your origin story? Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's really what what got me into it. And so uh, as soon as I could drive, I started going to these different locations. Um, and then when I got into college, that's when I formed a team um, through a lengthy process. But uh, <laughs> you know, formed a team, and and that's where I kind of redefined why I was getting into the paranormal. Um, and I have multiple reasons now, but back then the biggest reason was. To help people. Because if, you know, it sucks that um, you would literally go to school and you couldn't come home because you didn't feel safe in your own house. Right. Right. That's supposed to be a safe haven. That's supposed to be a safe place for you to go home and relax. And to me, it was terrifying. Uh, and so, you know, that sucks. Like, people don't deserve that. Uh, and so that's that's kind of why I started to dive into it more is, like, if I can use my experiences to help other people, why why wouldn't I? Yeah. So that's, that's kind of why I got into the paranormal. And then it morphed into like history and, and loving history and all that sort of stuff. It's so. funny because it's one of those taboo things where a lot of people won't speak on it because they think that it's going to make them sound crazy. Mm-hmm. And having groups like your group kind of gives people a, a, a route to have their voice be heard. And, you know, whether it turns out to be phony or real or whatever the case may be. It still gives them that route to be able to figure it out. Yeah. So. So when now, 
I'd say now, um, are you more like towards on like the, the scientific side of things or are you like on like the spiritual side of things? Like where, where do you kind of fall in that lines? I mean, I don't want to label it, but I, I definitely lean more into the scientific side of, of investigating. That doesn't mean that I don't, uh, look at the spiritual or metaphysical side of things. I actually, uh, on my team, there are a number of psychics and mediums. And so what we'll do is, I'll try to take their skills, right? Their skill set and apply that in like scientific method, right? Um, so we will partner up utilizing a lot of the devices that folks use, uh, especially audio recorders and video like camcorders mm. um, and try to see if whatever they're experiencing on, you know, the psychic, metaphysical, spiritual side uh, is parallel and if we can identify the same thing on the scientific so if they're picking up something like we think you know i think it's a woman right from such and such period um we'll try to validate what they're experiencing with our own equipment uh so so a little bit of both like i I dabble i definitely dabble uh but i i always bring it back to as as much as i can to the scientific and if i can really uh bring like order to to that uh and draw actual conclusions that's where i much prefer to live well it definitely it definitely seems like having that that mindset you're able to be more definite you can put a pen in it and go yeah this is legit this is exactly what it is here's the evidence here's the proof of it it's not just you know a, a psychic medium or something like that saying hey i feel this i see this you know whatever so yeah we like to i like to take more of an analytical approach to that like yeah. If they are, that's great. But now I want to validate it. Right. Because if I can't validate it, then what you've had is a personal experience. Yeah. And I can't I can't quantitatively document personal experiences, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, I've had tons of personal experiences, and they're some of my favorite stories. But I can't use that as proof. I can't be like, hey, look at my personal experience. Right. Uh, unless it was on camera. And then it's something that's more in the line of evidence. Yeah. So. So tell me about Hanover Tavern, because I know you know damn near every single piece of information there is on the Hanover, on Hanover Tavern. I was going to say, are we doing the historical side first, I assume? Yeah, we're going to do historical Please side and then, and then going kind of to the paranormal side. So the Hanover Tavern, uh, for all of you, hi again, because I was looking this way, so hello, all of you. Um, the Hanover Tavern is my like my home away from home. Uh, it is the old home that my wife will never let me have because they are financial black pits. Um, and it's awesome. So, so the tavern, <laughs> the Hanover Tavern, it's in Hanover County, Virginia. Uh, and it is one of the oldest continuously operating taverns in America. So a little plug there. Uh, and the, the property itself dates back to uh, 1733. That's the first date that we have a record of a license to operate a tavern on the property. But it probably existed before then, right? It could have. Yeah. Not not entirely sure. Okay. Um, and during its lifespan, it's not always been called the Hanover Tavern either. Right. Um, so 1733, 1735, we've got our tavern at some point. Um, it's resting on, I want to say, I want to say it was about 625 acres. 
Um, so big, big stretch of land. And um, along with the tavern, because typically what you would have is th this tavern was here for a purpose, right? The the uh, courthouse, the Hanover, what is now the historical courthouse that sits on the property, um, that land was kind of like designated for this courthouse. And so if you're going to have a courthouse complex at the time, you would have the courthouse, a jail, the clerk of courts, uh, offices, and then a tavern that would service everything. Uh, and so that is, that is the typical layout of a county, like a, a court complex. And that's what we have. And everything there is still active except for the jail, correct? Yes. Okay. Yep. The, the courthouse is still, uh, used, um, it is the third oldest courthouse in America. Wow. wow. And, uh, it's still used to this day. Um, now it's more of like ceremonial things that go on in there. It's not actual, like they're not going to hold a court day, uh, in, in the old, in the old courthouse. I don't know. I've had a couple court dates there. In the original one? The one? I don't know no. if it's the original one. It's the building, if you're walking out of Hanover Tavern and up the stairs where the parking section is, yeah. it's the one directly across from there. The small one? Pretty Super sure. One? That backs up to the jail? No, no, Because no, there's no. two courthouses. There were. There were. It's changed up now, but there were two courthouses. If you're looking at the jail to the right-hand side of it, there are two buildings that were used for court cases No, it, as it well. would be to the left-hand side of the – like if you're standing in the parking lot of Hanover Tavern and looking uh, across the street. Maybe. Or maybe I just have my, my bearings mixed up. Maybe you're going crazy. Yeah, I think you're going crazy there, man. I don't. I don't think they – I mean, as far as I know today – I can tell you today that it is no longer used for court cases. It is okay. ceremonial only. This would have been like ten years ago. So. Maybe if if you I got if you so. got put in the original <laughs> one, you've been doing some wild shit. <laughs> You're doing something. I mean, I was I was doing some wild shit. Eh. <laughs> don't know that I want to know. Yeah. It's, no, it's okay. We don't have to go there. <laughs> we don't have to go there. Sorry, Bob. So, yeah. So so yeah so so this courthouse today is ceremonial. Um. And so the tavern stood there for a period of time, right? And um, that is the original tavern. All right. We call that the original tavern because it's not, it is not the current Hanover Tavern. Uh, the original tavern stood for just shy of 100 years. Um, and it was, we know from tax, tax records that it was a smaller one floor, one story building. Um, now, a typical tavern at that time, the owners of the tavern would have also lived in the tavern, so consider that for a second that it was one floor. So much tight space. You're living in there with guests. So uh they decided that they needed to expand. And uh in nineteen seventy one they built a home. So they built the home portion of the tavern. Um nineteen seventy one? Seventeen ninety one, sorry. Yeah, I was my list like right there. I was like, hey. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait a minute. I, I know, I know, there was a, a theater company that had it sometime. See, I was about to say, like, as recent as that. Yep. Yeah. No. Seventeen ninety one. So that's the home portion of the tavern. It was built in seventeen ninety one. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, that's where the family lived. And the home right? portion is huge. Yes. Yep. And so, so you have the home portion. Then the 1820s roll around and they decide that the original tavern is, is fairly derelict at that point. It had, you know, had been standing for just shy of a hundred years. And so they built 
the new tavern, which is the tavern we know today. Was it built on the same exact site or was it kind of a different we, location? It would have. I So a lot of people like to immediately assume that the old tavern like burnt down. There was a horrific fire or some destruction of some sort. We have no indication or records of that. So what more than likely happened is the old tavern just got old and worn down that they started to build a new tavern, utilized whatever they could material-wise and property-wise from the old tavern, and then built the new one up. Okay. Um, we actually don't know where the original tavern stood. We have no way of, of knowing, indicating, you know, it's here, it's there, it's 100 yards over there, anything right. like that. We know it was in the immediate vicinity because that is how a county complex would have been built. Um, but we don't know exactly where it is. Hmm. Best guess is it's probably... Like, I would say maybe close to 301 today um, because they would have put some space between the two buildings. Yeah, they would have put, like, right on top of I it. I was going to say it, it more likely where 301's built probably was the area, speculation-wise. Yeah. So um, so you've got the new tavern, right? Uh, that's 1820s. And so for just shy or just about 10 years, both of these buildings stood side by side. Uh, and it wasn't until the 1830s that they decided, hey – we should connect these buildings. So then they built a connector uh, between the two. And so you want, when you guys, you know, you remember walking in mm. and we walked up the hyphen uh, and then there was just two steps to lead into this building and one step down to go to that building. Um, that was, that was that, that's the connector to the two. <laughs> um, so 1830s, you have the entire building finally connected. Um, during, it's past before we move up from the 1830s. Um, the Shelton family owned the Hanover Tavern. Uh, it was Eleanor and John uh, Shelton. And at that time, it was known as the E. Shelton Inn. All right. E for Eleanor. We've actually found a sign. I can't remember the name, but there is a museum in uh, Atlanta that actually has the original E. Shelton Inn Tavern sign. Oh, Atlanta. Yeah. Don't know why it's down there. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, say. <laughs> how, how did it end up in Atlanta? Great question. Uh, but they... Maybe somebody just passing through? <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. I'm going to take this sign. But uh, it, uh, it decided to move down to Atlanta. And it's up in a museum down there. And so we actually... They sent us scanned in uh, like, a, like a photographs of it, a copy of it, essentially... So that we could recreate it. So today, if you go into the the bar downstairs, mm -hmm. like the dining room bar, um, we have a, a replica sign that's hanging over the fireplace. So when you go in there, and it doesn't say E. Shelton Inn now. It says Hanover Tavern. But the original would have said E. Shelton Inn. Gotcha. Okay. Because I, I was like, I'm trying, I was trying to remember. I was like, man, a couple times I've been in there. I swore I would have saw it, but... Okay, yep. now that makes sense. So, so it was it was definitely like a recreation. Uh, we we're not allowed to have the original, and I think we should, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, the cool thing about John and Eleanor owning this building is they had a daughter named Sarah Shelton, and Sarah uh, married a man by the name of Patrick Henry. Mm -hmm. So hopefully people know who Patrick Henry is. I hope you guys know who Patrick Henry is. But God, I hope uh, so. <laughs> Patrick Henry um, worked at the tavern for a period of time. He was a bar boy and an entertainer, played the fiddle. 
Uh, and it is believed that it's at the Hanover Tavern that he found his passion for uh, and his love for law. All right. So he would see when when circuit court came through, he would, you know, be entertaining and assisting all of those folks. And we think that that's where he found that that passion. Well, I mean, that would make sense. You have these lawyers and, you know, judges and what whatnot coming through there. I mean, it would all make sense. Mm hmm. So Patrick Henry, um, he stayed at the old tavern, not the new, the old tavern. And it's right across the street uh, at the courthouse that he argued the Parsons cause, um, which was one of the sparks to the American Revolution. So very prominent figure there, right? Um, and then, you know, at that time, he was actually living at Scotchtown, which is right up the road. Mm. Um, and he was also living at Scotchtown when uh, he gave his 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 famous give me liberty or give me death speech at St. John's church downtown in Richmond. Um, so they were very, that was very influential, very influential period of time. Um, if you want to talk about like, like really tying, tying all the, the places together, uh, a young Patrick Henry would have attended uh, church at Paul green church where Samuel Davies set up the first reading room. Okay. And so Samuel Davies was a very fire and brimstone kind of man, uh, and that's where Patrick picked up some of his stuff. His his uh, his mom would bring him. Huh. Yeah, I did. Um, if you go to our Instagram, you can and you scroll back a little bit, you can see uh, Paul Green Church. I took some pictures, and it's it's the framework of it. Yes, yeah, skeleton. Of, yeah, it's the skeleton of where the church was and the reading room. Um, I might be wrong on it. Is it the exact location of it, or is that just a replica of the location? Pretty sure that's the exact location. Okay, I couldn't remember off I'm top. Pretty of my head. sure it is. I mean, I'm sure they may have moved it a tiny bit. I'm not no. really sure, but I, I'm pretty sure it is. I mean, we've investigated there, and and we've got activity, so I would assume that it's if it's not like right there, pretty it's pretty close. close. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty accurate. We have a lot of this this. Activity early on in the tavern's iteration. You know, we, we had uh, figures like uh, George Washington. He wrote about visiting the tavern twice in his diaries. Uh, we had Rochambeau, Marquis de Lafayette. Um, we had tons of different figures through the tavern. We actually even had P.T. Barnum stay a night at the tavern. P.T. Barnum. Yep. Um, and uh, everyone's favorite, uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Um, now, we don't know that if, if he actually stayed at the tavern. However, the tavern sat on a very important coach road uh, from Richmond to Baltimore or Washington, D.C. So we know that um, Poe would have traveled that road when he was coming back and forth. Uh, and for those stagecoach roads, they would stop at every tavern along the way so people could get off if they needed to go to the restroom they needed to take a break stay the night grab some something to eat something to drink uh so we know that poe more than likely was there at some point did he stay don't know uh but he definitely walked through hmm. so we have a lot of really neat figures um and then we'll dive into uh we, we move a couple of years ahead and we're in the civil war uh and that is when we have uh our union sympathist cleavers chisholm very unique name he went by clive uh and amazilla chisholm who went by ann now when we get to the paranormal stuff i, I do have a question that i'm going to bring up um but keep continuing okay. i just need i just need to remember you that you say amazilla amazilla yes it's a mouthful it's a hell of a name <laughs> yeah so is cleavers 
Uh, Quakers so, is interesting. <laughs> Amazilla, though, doesn't even sound like like it would be a thing. It's it's weird. But Clive and Anne purchased the building uh, literally, I want to say it was like a month before the Civil War. Right? So they, they buy the tavern and immediately are just smacked. Like, worst worst time to invest in a business uh, is like literally right right at the, the, the cusp of war. Uh, and so that happens. So so they uh, own and operate the tavern during the Civil War. Cleavers or Clive, we'll call him Clive because it's easier. Clive was a Union <laughs> sympathist. Uh, and the Union Army knew that. Uh, the Confederates did not know that. Uh, and so whenever the Confederates would come through, uh, Anne would literally whisk her husband away into the bedroom and lock the door because they needed business. And so there was one story that uh, Anne locked him in the bedroom uh, and grabbed the closest white thing she could find, which was her nephew's underwear, uh, her trial, you know, his trousers. And uh, she ran outside onto the front porch and was waving them as a sign of peace uh, and that they were open for business. Uh, it was very, a very interesting period of time for them. Right. I'm just I'm just imagining this woman just grabbing this man. It's like, no, mm-mm, you're going to keep your damn mouth shut. And you're going to yeah. sit in this room and that's where you're going to stay. And she was known for that. Uh, <laughs> she was a very outspoken uh, woman. Now, um, during that time period, she did have uh, two daughters pass away during the Civil War. Mm. Um, she had two other sons and they both actually survived uh, and both worked really, really close by to the tavern. Um, so during this period of time, the tavern was not only a tavern, uh, but it was also a post office. And there was, you know, there was no like formal post office. You would literally, they'd drop your mail off at a tavern that was close by and everybody would come and pick up their mail. I mean, it, it makes sense. Like you said, like the, that was kind of on the stagecoach road. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that'd be a good way to get from spot to spot just by, you know, dropping yeah. mail off there. So that was that was that. I mean, post office didn't have any infrastructure at the time. So they were just like, here it is. This was the place that not only you would come and pick up your mail, but during the Civil War, this is also the place that you would come in and find out about your loved ones. If they had died in war, uh, if they were captured, wounded, uh, anything, the whole nine yards. Uh, and so you would walk into that one room, the tap room, uh, and that's where you would find out all about that. Um, the tavern also had refugees from the Civil War, and one of them is uh, – her name was Margaret White, and she kept a diary, and you guys grabbed that. Yep, we sure did. Yep. Uh, and so Margaret and her husband lived at the tavern intermittently during the Civil War, and they tell a number of different things. For example, the tavern was quarantined at one point because of uh, an outbreak of diphtheria, uh, and I think it was yellow fever and one other thing. And she actually writes about a woman that dies from diphtheria. So diphtheria is this kind of disease that literally it it like what's the word I'm looking for here? Restricts it, airflow. It, yeah, it restricts your your airflow. It makes everything in your throat tight to the point that you choke. So it kind of swells the esophagus. Yep. Wow. And so um, she writes about this this woman that her her famous last words where I'm choking to death. Uh, and so that that was a big thing. I mean, there were, you know, tons of people, including uh, Clive and Anne's two daughters that both died from sickness during the war. And they left uh, children there for Anne and Clive to take care of. 
Um, so you've got that. You've got um, the the whole story that uh, as the Union Army passed through, there was a Union soldier that was left. And he was apparently wounded. He couldn't keep up with the unit. And so they knew that Clive was a Union sympathist and that he would be safe there. So they left him somewhere between seven to eight weeks at the tavern. And the Union Army, literally, they were rolling through. They were like, all right, go ahead. And they just kept going. Uh, Hanover County is very, very Confederate land. I mean, at that time, you're you're literally sitting right outside of Richmond. Um so imagine being, you know, essentially behind enemy lines. You don't know anybody there. You know, if you are caught, not only are you going to hang, but the folks that are, that are you know, keeping you are going to be hung for treason, mm. right? And at any moment, they could change their mind and decide that this is too dangerous for them. Uh, and they could just toss you out and you're, you're, you're as good as done, right? So... He lived there for somewhere between seven to eight weeks. Union Army came back through and he was better and off he went. Um, but, you know, it always is interesting to me of like, where did he hide? Did he hide in plain clothes? Was he like a cousin? Yeah. Something like that. An uncle. Um, or or was he actually stashed away somewhere in the tavern in some like portion of the building or some little little crawl space that we don't know yet and haven't haven't found? Um, I don't know. So, um, so yeah, so Civil War, right? We also had Rooney Lee, uh, Robert E. Lee's son. He drove by the tavern um, when he was wounded. And he actually was wounded up uh, near Fleetwood, the Battle of Fleetwood. So that's another place that we investigate is up in Brandy Station. And so we've got history that ties that place that's so literally an hour and a half away. Didn't the, didn't, wasn't there an investigation like a couple weeks ago or is it coming up? Yep. No, we had one. We had a, a paranormal. It was called the Paranormal Relief Project and uh, Transcend partnered with Spirit Guides Paranormal. Mm. Um, and we hosted a free event for like first responders, cool. the people that like had to like had to work during COVID, especially the initial outbreak. Uh, so that was like a thank you to them, which was neat. Heck yeah. So so we had Rooney Lee pass by and, and he was captured right down the road. So, I mean, we had so much history right there. Then the building, you know kind of falls into disrepair over time. Uh, And in the 1950s, uh, there was a troupe called the Barksdale Theater Troupe that came down from New York. uh, And they found the Hanover Tavern and had this whole idea that they were going to do dinner and a show. Unheard of before. There was absolutely nothing in America uh, that had this whole concept of dinner and a performance, a play. Uh, So they, they... found the building, bought it, and started renovating it. Um, they they built the theater that's in the basement today. Um, it's been renovated since then, but, uh, you know, but it's still the original, right? And so uh, the Barksdale Theater Troupe, they turned the second floor into living space. The first floor was a restaurant slash, uh, like, common rooms, uh, and the basement is where they performed. And so in the 1950s, this is what they were doing. There were six of them that first came down. Um, and then towards the end, it was just uh, three. It was the Kilgore families, uh, Nancy and Pete and Muriel McCauley. Uh, and there are still people. I met a gentleman uh, just the other weekend that he recalls those days. And he uh, he was there as an actor. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. During during that time period, which is amazing, and so so they uh, they ran this this dinner and a show for a number of years, um, 
again, the building, you know, it's an old it's a historic building. It, it demands money. Uh, and so by the time that it reached 1990, it had kind of, again, fallen on its last legs. So uh, that's when the Hanover Tavern Foundation purchased the building. Um, and the first thing we did over the span of 10 years is uh, dump $5 million into restoring the building. Oh. And that was just to make it safe enough for people to legally, uh, for insurance reasons, legally be able to walk into the building. To make wow. it structurally sound. Yep. So uh, $5 million. Yeah. So it was expensive. Wow. And we're still, I mean, we still raise boatloads. You know, we, well, we try to raise boatloads of money because that's how much it takes to keep the building operational. Still, yeah, operational. Was it preserved. more expensive because you guys tried to use original materials? Um, like, did you try to match everything up to a, um, some of it, they tried to like some of the, the, you know, visible stuff. Um, some of it, you just, there was no way, right. Uh, right. Cause it wouldn't have met standards today. And so they had to do some extra bracing and, and that sort of stuff. But as far as like the aesthetic look. Yeah. I mean, they, the majority of the tavern today, if you go in and look around the majority of it, even of the majority of the skeleton, uh, in, inside is all. Um, original. All original. Yeah, the whole structure is typically, you know, just about original. There are a few braces here and there to keep everything together, yeah. but yeah. Uh, you know, it's just about original. Impressive. So yeah, so we bought the building in the 1990s, and we've kind of been rolling with it ever since. So your favorite room has just now been put together, correct? Yes. Which is the what you said was the that's tap the room. tap room in Cage Bar. So. Um, and you guys can always tell me to shut up if, if I keep, if I'm talking too long, but, no, no, um, this is, this is your show. We're just here to listen. <laughs> so, so my favorite room is, uh, one that was just recently completed renovation in November of 2020. And that was the tap room slash cage bar. Oh, look, Jillian. Hey, Jillian. I just followed you 10 minutes, 11 minutes ago. <laughs> Thanks for the follow. Thank Fine, you, Jillian. Yeah. Thank you. So no, do you I know love Jillian? you. Yeah. yeah. That's a yeah. friend. Good friend. Thanks. And uh, why didn't you do it first? Mm. I'm just kidding. Uh, so <laughs> so the tap room and cage bar, right? So uh, when the Barksdale Theater came in, they actually turned this room into a lobby uh, and the cage bar into bathrooms, uh, a men and women's bathroom. And so when, when the tavern, when the foundation purchased the building in 1990, uh, one of the, what are we looking at? Oh, look, there's messages so long ago. Like, yeah. Aww. Yeah. That's cute. I love you. No, no, I love you, Garrett, though. No. That's cute. That's okay. Um, so, so, uh, <laughs> so we started restoring the building, uh, and we started doing some excavating. And the first thing that we found in this particular portion of the building was the original cage bar, mm. literally encased in the wall. Uh, and so that was an amazing find. Like there are no, you know, very few original cage bars uh, that that are still intact and still there. So to find that in the wall was amazing. Uh, See, you don't, you don't love me. Chris does. <laughs> she ain't wrong. Um, the the cage bar, and and I and I keep on trying to ask you this question, but I keep on forgetting. But the 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 actual cage itself was behind drywall, right? Yes. How did y'all f- know that that was there, or did y'all just go? We on a knew way? that that would be where that bar would have been from the eighteen sixties, um, and so it was also it it had been literally 
slapped together as a bathroom. Uh, so that was one of the first things to go. Uh, and so when they were pulling down the drywall, lo and behold, there is the cage bar. We didn't know that that was sitting in there. Yeah. Uh, we just knew that there would have been a bar in that area. Uh, so to find that was one of the coolest things. It's just wild to me that, like, some guy with a hammer or whatever, you know, was was destroying all the – pulling all this drywall down. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's <laughs> that's not normal. Yeah. So it was awesome. Uh, and uh, – for for many many years, it sat as the cage bar. We left the doors. Uh, they put up a black curtain and uh, plexiglass over everything, and that's how it sat uh, up until the end of 2019. Uh, so 1990 ish to 2019, it sat behind plexiglass uh, and this black curtain because inside we still had the bathroom tile and there was still pipes. You know, um, the the sinks and, and everything were were removed, but we still had all those pipes and caps and everything, and it was not a usable space. All right. So uh, in 2019, uh, I formed this whole idea of a fundraiser uh, called Raise the Bar at Hanover Tavern, and proposed it to our board. They were they were fine with it, uh, and in one day, I raised over five thousand dollars to restore the cage bar. Hell yeah! So. Um, we actually did a lot of it ourselves because we have a number of board members that are very proficient at uh, first antiques uh, and they have a bunch of antiques, but second historic building. Uh, and so the majority of the work was actually done by our executive director, um, David Deal, and uh, some of the other board members, which was great because uh, that was really, really easy. You know, those things they already knew how to do. Um some of the material, like we we actually got original old wood flooring um, from a home that had been taken down in Waynesburg, and they kept the wood to sell. So we actually have original, like period wood from that time. How expensive was that? Uh, they those folks were actually really kind and donated it to oh. us. Oh wow! Yeah, they 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 donated a good portion of it, and then we bought a tiny bit more. Uh, but they they were able to donate a good chunk of it. Nice. So, so we started restoring that, um, the part of the cage bar that they sawzalled into a, a door to the bathroom, we were able to restore, uh, and attach. And so today we have a 1860s bar, um, cage bar and a cage bar. So a cage bar, uh, what that is, is it is literally a cage. And, uh, during this, this period of time, travelers would come and stay at the tavern and they would get a drink. Then they'd go to bed. The issue with that is a lot of them wanted nightcaps. So they would wake up uh, in the middle of the night and they'd come and drink all of your liquor. So <laughs> the solution to that was building this cage bar where when you were, you know, when the bar was open, they'd lift this whole cage up. They'd prop it open with like a piece of wood or something and they'd serve uh, at the end of the night. They would remove it, Close drop the, the bar, uh, drop the cage and then lock it up. Uh, that way, nobody could steal any of your liquor. Smart. Yeah. So, so that is that is what a cage bar is. Um, and then again, they also this is where they they handled all of the mail. So you'd come in there for the mail. You'd come in there to drink, to eat after court, um, 
and to find out if a loved one had perished during the war. And y'all found the original mail slot as well. Also, yes. Right. Yeah. And that that is a 2020 find uh, that uh, that original mail slot. It's just wild to me that y'all are still finding stuff in this building after how many years. And I, I don't know. It just, it just seems weird to me that like you can have this building and it's been touched by so many people and you're still like, Oh, well, yeah, that's there now. <laughs> yeah. You know, that it was, was awesome. It was super amazing. Cause we were, we knew that it was used as a post office. We have documentation of that. In fact, um, one of uh, Clive and Ann Chisholm's sons, he went on to be the postmaster for uh, the Hanover County Complex, which means he worked in the tavern. So we know that there was a post office there. But to actually find the original mail slot from that time period was awesome. You know, hand cut in, hand carved uh, and everything. Uh, and then on the other side, because, I mean, if we talked about like reconstruction and, and how all of that looked uh, we could talk about ghost lines that we found, uh, paint beads and original colors, um, original material. So we knew what material, I mean, the, like, for example, the bar top is original. Um, it was just painted over seven layers of paint. Uh, and so we didn't realize that it was the original bar top. We just thought it was just a you know piece of wood smacked in there. And so when we started sanding and scraping all that down, we were like, oh, okay, wow, this is an actual bar top. <laughs> um, so so we found you know a lot of this this really cool architecture and design uh, that taught us the next step. It was like it's like literally when we were doing this renovation, the bar was telling us how it was built. Um, because we would find we found the original board with original nails, so we knew how big the boards were. We knew where the nails were. Uh, we knew how far spaced apart. They had an original bead line. We knew where the paint ended, which means that there was like a, a board at the bottom. Um, th- there were so many different things that that were able to tell us this is how it originally was. It's just cool to be able to walk in and and just see that and and be like, oh my gosh, like like you just said that the building itself just kind of showed you hey guys this is this is how i was laid out this yep. is this is how i was if you, if you had to walk back this is what it would be like yep so we were able to restore it to just about exactly how it how it originally was uh which was great and like it's it's so much so much better now <laughs> so what i'm gonna do is we're gonna actually turn this into a uh, two-parter yep so for anyone watching the live stream uh what we're gonna do is we'll end up taking a Let's just say five minute break. Yeah, I need a five minute break. Um, we'll take a five minute break. We'll put on our uh, our nice be right back screen that nobody has seen yet. Um, and then Fancy. for as far as anybody who is just listening and not joining in on the live stream or watching on YouTube, you're gonna have to wait until next week. So not this coming Saturday, but the following Saturday for the part two to come out on Spotify or any listening platform so another reason to watch our live stream on twitch every wednesday at seven or to check us out on youtube and give us a like and subscribe yep so i want to thank y'all for listening if you're enjoying our show be sure to follow us and stay tuned for more episodes to come and as always do your own research all right part one of the hand of a tavern bye bye